0: LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. While we had a little bit of a downtime, we had a chance to get a golf day in, didn't we? But Tom couldn't make it. But Natalie could.
1: My golf wasn't good enough, Damon.
0: Your golf is perfectly good enough. Have You should see Natalie. You know, you'd have been fine. But... <laughs> <laughs> Natalie's trying. She's, she's really keen. But she's got all the gear. Oh. And as they say, not quite all the ideas yet, but it's coming. But it was on her birthday. She came on, on her birthday to play golf on my charity golf day. Now, what a generous person she is.
2: A for effort, D for everything else terrible well, it was
0: delightful having you there
2: golf is the world's most frustrating game like i mean and you did warn me damon before i took it up but did i listen it's a
0: horrid. it's a horrible horrible game don't do it anyone listening to this just stick to motorsport it's a nightmare game anyway that's enough about golf well no it, no um, it's not actually
1: who won the golf day that's what i'd like to know
0: so i invited my sky crew and and sky we entered a team which was what natalie was playing for, and David Croft was in it. But Simon Lasby managed to bag the swag and, and nick it from everyone else's uh, under everyone else's nose. Brought his dad along, who is probably complete obviously a bandit, um, the fabulous Terry, who... Uh- <laughs> <laughs> and his mates, and they basically won some new sand irons and uh, some gin that comes from a local um, distillery near where I live. It was all in aid of my charity, which is not my charity, the charity I support, which is called Halo, which is young people with learning disabilities, because my son has Down syndrome. So I've got into that sort of world, but we raised a good bit of money for a worthy cause, and uh, and Simon
1: got a prize.
2: I got a prize too, because Damon's lovely son, Ollie, gave me a bunch of flowers for my birthday.
1: everyone's
2: the consolation prize
1: how was the F1 Nation drinks trolley Uh, oh yeah and of course
0: F1 Nation uh, sponsored the drinks it wasn't a trolley it was a halfway house I found it I kept on saying where's the trolley because I was stuck on one of the holes because I had to... I, the competition was basically they had to beat me near the flag on one of the par threes. So I never actually played golf. I just st- was stuck on a one hole hitting golf balls all day for four hours at the same target. So I was going, when's the drinks trolley coming around? And it wasn't... It was the halfway house. So thank you for, to F1 for sponsoring our fabulous halfway house drinks.
2: Well, I'd like to say it was a lot of fun, but it wasn't. It was miserable. <laughs> It was the worst way I could possibly spend my birthday. No, I'm joking. It was brilliant. It was great fun. My golf was terrible. Well done for raising so much money. And whilst I'm at it, welcome to F1 Nation. Damon Hill, Tom Clarkson and me, Natalie Pinkham.
1: Pinks, before we get on to all things Singapore, there's a rumour going round that you make tennis stars cry. Is that true? Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal.
2: Much like a tabloid headline, you've got some semblance of truth in there, but not the whole story. Uh, no, I was honoured to host the opening night of the Labour Cup. And I've, I was asked months ago, I obviously didn't know when I accepted the kind invitation that it would be Federer's last ever competitive match or series of matches. And it was a black tie dinner at Somerset House and it was amazing, yeah. McEnroe and Borg were the two team captains and then they introduced the big four, which I felt sounded like a safari. It was Murray, Djokovic, Federer, Nadal. And uh, they were all on magnificent form. And yeah, it was nice to sort of dip back into tennis because I did work in tennis before Formula One. And uh, but yeah, to jump out of that world and into, into theirs was a real treat.
0: What a sportsman. I mean, what a Federer. I'm just saying, you know, he's, given, he's hanging up his hat, but my God, what a, what a career, what a performance,
1: what a gentleman
0: and all the rest of it.
2: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: You've interviewed a lot of, sportsmen and women in your time but when you deal with the big four are there similarities in the way they carry themselves to to Lewis Hamilton to Max Verstappen
2: well a couple of observations that I had from the night was that given that I don't know them as well as the F1 drivers on the grid I didn't know how far I could take the sort of banter off script you know bit of ad-libbing because you sort of think you don't want to hang anyone out and you don't want to embarrass anyone, but equally you want to have a bit of fun. But Beyond Borg was, was great fun. They all were, to be honest. Do you know who was the funniest do you think of them all?
1: McEnroe, Björg.
2: Don't say Andy Murray. Andy Murray. <laughs> I promise you, he was brilliant. He started by saying, I know that my voice suggests otherwise, but I'm actually very excited to be here tonight. <laughs>
0: that's, a good, that's
2: a good line. <laughs> Let's talk about Singapore now, because we, we finally go back there. Last time was 2019, which seems like a lifetime ago. But we're back there with six races remaining this season. It's part of an Asian doubleheader, obviously Japan following it, on the calendar. And, uh, and what a circuit, what a challenge. Damon, just how difficult is it to drive there?
0: It's one of the big challenges of all, anywhere. And we had this uh, situation with Monza and and Nick de Is Nick actually driving? Do we know yet?
2: No. So Alex Albon is still, well, as of yesterday, trying to get fit in time. But I don't know, if you read the reports about what his body has been through, you, you feel like saying to him, just don't risk it. It's not as if there's a world championship at stake. Just don't risk your health.
1: Williams are being non-committal as well. We're, you know, recording this Monday morning and Williams aren't prepared to say that he's definitely going to be there this weekend. Because as you say, it's it's been a big mountain to climb after that operation. This is one of the biggest, toughest challenges. Nick, if he does go to Singapore, he thought his
0: shoulders were aching after Monza. He is going to be in for the biggest physical challenge of his career if he has to do Singapore. But then, of course, if Alex is not fully fit and, of course, if he's had internal stitches, you know, you, you've got to have time for them to, to heal. You can't be bouncing around and dehydrating in a Formula One car for two hours around a, around a boiling hot racetrack.
2: With a lot of emphasis on your core as well, I would have thought. Yeah,
0: so there's a good chance that Nick could find himself put to the test in this boiling hot cauldron although the sun goes down
1: it's still the the humidity seems to go up in the evening and you just can't get rid of the heat 23 corners and you know the 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 ambient is circa 30 degrees isn't it and as you say the humidity seems to go up i found it really interesting seeing how the drivers have been preparing for the race You, you look at you know instagram and things and what are they they've been i saw carlos Sainz cycling in a sauna and doing all sorts of different things i mean You do have to treat this one differently. And it's a long race. Yes, 61 laps, but it always goes to the two hour max, it seems.
2: And Ocon's gone on record as saying it's going to feel like go karts on curbs. The bouncing, the intensity of that is not just physically demanding, but so mentally taxing as well. The concentration levels, as you say, dehydration then plays its part in affecting that as well.
0: Yeah, it's it's a Monaco times two. I mean, it is really is a big challenge for drivers because they get stuck behind a car and they get frustrated. If they've got a faster car, it's very difficult to pass. You've got the DRS, but really there isn't a straight long enough. You know, you've got to take a bra- brave lunge down the inside of a corner to get past people and people get frustrated and they lose concentration. And when you're very dehydrated and hot and bothered, you know, you get a little bit short tempered as well. So these are the things, but talking about the curbs, this is this gonna be a Ferrari track? Because the the Ferrari is the one car that seems to cope better than the Red Bull over
1: Curbs.
2: Well of course it was a one-two for them back in twenty nineteen with Leclerc on pole and Vettel winning it.
1: Yeah, and and this year, with the new regulations, Leclerc was on pole position at Baku, which was of course another street circuit. It is a bumpy racetrack, this one. And I think you need to sort of go back to You know, it's Baku, it's Montreal, isn't it? The hard ride of these cars, something that Ocon, as you say, Pink's was going on about, uh, is going to launch the cars over these curbs. I I think we're going to see some really exhausted drivers. Because it's it's much more physical now.
0: These cars are more physical than they were two years ago. It seems to be, doesn't it? Yeah, it seems to me. like Because I think that they can push the tyre a little bit harder, perhaps, um, than they used to. So there are going to be
1: more demands on them now coming up. I think they're going to be in for a shock. But Damon we we always get mistakes. There have been there's been a safety car at every single Singapore Grand Prix and the race was first introduced back in 2008. Largely caused by, you know, either drivers getting frustrated and taking that lunge down the inside and it not working out or just making a mistake and hitting, the, you know, clipping a wall.
0: And, of course, it's had an incredibly dramatic history, hasn't it? Of course, we had uh, Singapore Gate. Yeah, first Gate. ever race, 2008. First ever race, a Singapore Gate uh, story, which um, uh, is a long story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if you've got time for it now. But anyway, uh, it involved
1: uh, a Fernando Alonso, who's still going. I mean, what, what actually happened, let's just remind listeners, Alonso pitted and at that moment, his teammate Nelson Piquet Jr., hit the wall deliberately, bringing out a safety car. So su- suddenly Fernando was at the front. And he won the race, didn't he?
0: Beyond that, we've had those amazing scenes where, was it Felipe
1: Massa who went off in the fuel pipe? That was also 2008. I mean, it's, it was a dramatic race, that one, one way or another. And then 2017, when um, the two Ferraris and Max Verstappen pincered going into turn one at the start. Do you remember? Oh my God, Jeff, yeah, that was classic drama. It's a modern day classic the Singapore Grand Prix it is
0: really a modern day classic yeah it's been a big success
2: but it's beautiful as well isn't it under yeah. those lights I mean I can't wait to go night racing again it just looks stunning it's something to behold
1: and it is the extraordinary thing of the whole Formula One paddock going nocturnal you know it is
2: yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It's, it's weird very and it's weird. only an
1: 8pm start it's not like the race starts at midnight the race starts at 8 you're done by 10 and yet for some reason we all go to bed at 6 <laughs>
2: Well, I remember my first ever year in Formula One, getting into the lift at four in the morning with Timo Glock to go to the gym. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> this is so weird. But anyone that doesn't know what we're talking about, we stick on European time when we're over there, which is great for the jet lag. But it's a bit weird because you're completely at odds with the world around you. So you go out to try and get some food. And of course, everywhere's shut it's only the other F1-ers who uh, are on the same time zone as you. It's quite fun in a way. It's, it's weird, but it's, it kind of adds to the sense of adventure.
0: So we now got a guest, Tom and Natalie. We've got a lovely man all the way from Sweden. His name is Rickard Rydell. Lovely to
1: see you. Looking well. Thanks a
3: lot. Uh, nice to see you too.
1: Before we get into Max Verstappen and Singapore, did you two ever race each other?
3: Yes, we did. I don't know if Damon remembers. 88... Uh... The Brands Hatch Super Prix end of season race, if you remember.
0: The Cellnet Super Prix, which was teeming, with soaking wet, I remember.
3: That's Formula 3. Did you win it? Yeah. No, I was third. It was like, I think it was maybe my first ever race outside Sweden uh, with the Swedish team. My boss, Pico Truberg running the team. So we were there uh, just learning. And uh, it was a little bit lucky. As you said, it was raining a lot. Uh, fin- managed to finish third. But... Uh, Damon was like uh, one of the stars.
0: There was a lot of interest in uh, the, the event because CellNet decided to sponsor it and we were the CellNet team, F3 team, so we, we kind of they were pushing us forward. But unfortunately, I think I crashed, so um, it didn't go very well. I, I don't know if Martin Donnelly did better. Did you do 3,000? I did some
3: races and I did the British 3,000, but with no budget, I went to Japan from 90, then 92, 93 in Japan. My plan was to continue in Japan, like a lot of drivers did at the time, like Eddie Irvine, Salo, Many drivers went that route. But then I had a like a lung collapsed in Japan. I, I went back and forwards, I think 13 times during 93. Then Volvo came along and offered me the drive for bridge touring cars. And I thought commuting to England was a little bit easier than commuting. Uh, to Japan, so I decided to take that route.
1: Now here's the thing, both of you two were employed by Tom Walkenshaw at the same time. So when Damon was at Arrows in 1997, you must have been at Volvo, which were run by TWR, weren't they, Rickard?
3: That's right. They were at the same factory, of course, uh, Leefield. I don't think we met that year. I mean, the programs were completely separate, of course. Not even at the Christmas party. I probably missed that one. <laughs>
2: And Ricard, bringing it up to the present day, you work for Swedish television now and and help develop young Swedish drivers. So let's just start on the latter. Where are we at with Swedish talent in single-seaters now? Obviously, Marcus Eriksson, the last one to to grace the F1 paddock. How's it looking?
3: It's looking uh, quite good, actually. I'm managing uh, Dino Boganovich, who is now leading the European Formula Regional Championship, and he's uh, signed by Ferrari Driver Academy. He was actually helped into international karting by uh, Vard Racing, a Swedish kart team. And uh, then I got along in his last year of karting where he became an Italian champion and second in the USA at 15 years of age, third in F4, his first season. And then uh, this year has been really, really good for him and now leading the championship by quite a margin before uh, the last two rounds, which is uh, Barcelona and Nugello.
2: And talking of leading a championship by a healthy margin, let's take the conversation on to Max Verstappen. And just putting your commentator and pundit hat on, what do you make of his season so far? And is he going to clinch it? It's an outside chance of him doing it in Singapore.
3: Well, uh, maybe not in Singapore, but I mean, it's just a matter of time. I think we're all really, really impressed on on how he's been doing this season and not just this season, but really since... I would say uh, Monaco 2018, where he turned things around. There's no teammate who's, who had managed to be close to him. So um, I think he's uh, a real talent that comes along only not very often and how he's matured and how he's racing nowadays compared to a couple of years ago. Also having that championship Andreas his belt, it's easier. He can relax a little bit more and I, I think he's just become better because of it and um I think Red Bull is talking all the time about having a problem with now with Perez. They need to find, he needs to find the speed and everything. But it's like, um, of course, when you have one quick driver, the car will always develop in the way of that driver. That driver will always uh, give his opinion and the team will listen to him. So I think the car just builds more and more around Max Max Verstappen, even this with the new regulation car. Do we think
1: he's going to tighten up or change his approach this weekend in Singapore, because I know you think it's an outside chance, Ricard, but you know, he can win the title this weekend.
2: He's never won in Singapore before TC. That's quite an interesting one.
1: Well, he's had a couple of podiums, hasn't he? But, but if he wins this race with fastest lap and Charles Leclerc, who is currently second in the world championship finishes eighth or lower, he will be champion. Now, there's no pressure in the sense that he's going to lose this world championship. But when you've got one hand on the trophy, do you tense up? Of course.
3: I think you would if it's one race to go. If it's like the last but one race, then you do because then you know anything can happen. But now when you have so many races to go, he doesn't have to. I mean, if he doesn't do it this weekend, then then he's going to do it later. But But you're right. I mean... If there was one more race to go after this one, then for sure it's, it's difficult and it's difficult to put it out of your mind. But I think as a driver, uh, you will always just like try to forget the past and just think about the, the race coming up, but, but it's impossible to take it out completely. So, uh, but I don't think it's a problem for him. There is so many races left this season.
0: Tom, do you not learn anything? I mean, from this guy, what he says from Max. You know, he—if you ask him a question about are you worried about something—he goes, "Oh no, I don't think it's a problem. It'll work out. It'll—it'll it'll be what it is." You know, his, philosoph- his philosophy is perfectly adapted now. To coping with the pressure in Formula One and and as Ricard was just saying, you know, you, you can put it out of your mind. That's the, that is the tactic. That is what every sportsman has to do. You cannot get ahead of yourself. You've got to do the job you're there to do. And that's what he he says, he reiterates that every time you interview him.
1: And also he's got the one in the bag. If it was his first one, then there would be some tension, I think.
2: Totally agree. Yeah. This
1: brings us on to something that Jean Todd, former Ferrari boss, former FIA president, said this week about Charles Leclerc in an interview uh, with a magazine. He said, Charles is still missing something, which I thought was very interesting coming from Jean Todd because his son, Nicola, manages Charles Leclerc. So there's a very close family link to the driver. So for him to come out and say he's still missing something, um, I thought was A, interesting. But what is he still missing? Because he's got the speed.
2: Maybe it's just that inner sense of calm and confidence.
0: That's it, Natalie. I think it is that that sense of comfort, you know, and confidence that Max has. I think if the first time we interviewed him, do you remember he came on Sky, and this is seventeen-year-old guy, and he just knew how to handle himself. He just had so much confidence; it was utterly unbelievable for a seventeen-year-old. And Charles is a very charming, intelligent kid, but
1: he's anxious. He's got an anxiety there.
2: I mean, there's a lot of self-chastisement, isn't there? I don't ever hear Max beating himself up when he makes himself. Mm, he's escape. very
1: public in his criticism of himself,
0: isn't he? Mm. I don't know what Ricard thinks, so I'm going to ask him a second, but you know, I thought the first time I heard him say, oh, I'm really sorry, guys, that, that was all my fault. <laughs> you know, I just thought, can't imagine Michael <laughs> Schumacher
1: saying that ever. <laughs> Hang on. That's not... <laughs> Shell, that's not in the racing driver shopping list of excuses. Yeah, no, it's very, <laughs> very, very honest,
0: but you know, don't tell everyone. Okay. Ricard, what are you? What, were you a driver who made a mistake and then owned up immediately? Or did you say, oh, there must have been a reason for it?
3: I think that I've uh, written a few pages of the driver's book of excuses myself. So <laughs> you always, I guess, you always try to find an excuse why you don't deliver or why, you, why it doesn't go as well as you thought it would. And, um, I think that's that's just a way of being better and like seeing yourself to do better next time. But uh, but you're right, he's really tough on himself, uh, Charles Leclerc. And there's so much much expectations on him. Perhaps if he does do the same thing like Max Verstappen when he when or if he wins, perhaps he will be a different driver. I think he he's just really really keen on delivering and showing his potential. He, we know we all know he's a really, really talented driver. But, I mean, they haven't got everything together at Ferrari yet. I think they this is not the year for them. But maybe give them a little bit more time and, and they will be there. So uh, I, th- I think that they will become better and better.
2: It's interesting, isn't it? Because right at the beginning of the year, we absolutely said it was their year. It felt like their time, didn't it? That 1-2 in Bahrain and... It felt like a quick car. It felt like they were much calmer, different mindset. Benotto was talking differently. Charles, as well, felt that like there'd been a coming of age. And you're totally right, Ricard. They've, they've, a lot of this is on the team. I mean, they say that Charles is missing something. The team is missing something. You've got to give him a, a fast car, but one that's reliable and strategy to back it up. And
3: also, I think that uh, they were, yes, they had the fastest car in the beginning and they uh, they still have qualifying wise they're they're really up there but they were a little bit lucky to get all those points they did in the beginning of the season red bull had some problems they were i think race in race um, simulations and in the races red bull was still maybe the slightly quicker car already from the beginning of the season except i think they have been all season except the red bull ring where ferrari was really quick in the race maybe they got too much pressure from everyone in the beginning of the season when they had those that uh, point advantage.
1: That's a really interesting point. So after Australia, Charles was 40-odd points ahead of Max, wasn't he? And do you think that just raised expectation levels too high, both in their own minds and in Italy and Gazzetta dello de la Sport and the, you know what the media is like in Italy and how everything's a, a massive story, both good and bad. Perhaps if they hadn't had that run of success, it would have been easier for them to deal with.
3: Yeah, exactly. If, uh, I think if uh, if it had been close and Red Bull maybe just leading the championship by a few points, it wouldn't wouldn't be the same. And uh, they they probably got too much pressure from from the outside world. And they still have a very quick car in qualifying, but they still aren't on Red Bull's uh, pace in the races. And the, and then of course we've seen Red Bull. When it comes to the the new regulations, I think that Red Bull has just shown how good an understanding they have of the aerodynamics, and they they, they make small changes to the floor for each races when they come to. We were at Spa when we, when everyone had to race the car, and Red Bull was just dominating. So it seems like they they know exactly what to do and how to do how to change the car for different circumstances. So uh, at the moment, no one is really in the same league.
1: I interviewed Christian Horner on the Sister Podcast Beyond the Grid recently and he said that he thought Red Bull was operating at the highest level it's ever operated in in the 18 years that he's been in charge of the team.
3: Yeah, I mean that says a lot of course.
1: Guys, what about Mercedes? I see George Russell's come out this week saying that he thinks COTA, the circuit of the Americas, is perhaps their best chance of taking a win uh, this year. And that's following on from quotes from Lewis Hamilton uh, at the Italian Grand Prix, where he said maintaining his record of winning in every season is of zero interest to him. But... Well, he's won in Singapore four times, most recently in 2017 after the Ferraris and Verstappen had each other off at Turn 1. But I've always thought of Singapore as a bit of a bogey track for Mercedes.
2: I mean, I, I agree. How can that bumpy track suit them? With all the problems they've had with porpoising and bouncing this year, how on earth are they going to navigate their way around that
1: well they're claiming that they've learned a lot of lessons since we were last at a bumpy track um in where was it montreal i guess with the curbs as well particularly zanvort uh, uh, andrew shovelin their chief engineer trackside was saying that at zanvort they learned a lot of lessons about car setup and how to maximize the performance of that w13 but i think it's going to be a difficult one and funnily enough george russell is the fourth driver still in contention mathematically to win this world championship it's the top four everyone outside of that uh, can no longer win so science hamilton norris ocon and everyone down can't now win this world championship george in fourth place on 203 points can still just but i don't think he's uh viewing <laughs> 2022 as his first world championship season Well, stranger
0: things have happened, haven't they, Tom? We know in our sport, you know, we've had... um, There's always a a race where things turn upside down um, somewhere in the season. So maybe Singapore is going to be it. But uh, that would be extraordinary if anything like that (laughs) happens. I mean, Max would have to not be racing and that's obviously a thought we don't want to entertain so the form is there it's it's going to happen it's inevitable but um we just
1: want to see some good racing don't we yes damon what's... do you agree do you agree with pinks and me that that the bumpiness of this track surely makes it a difficult one they've gone
0: well in extraordinary circumstances it seems to me their problem is is they're too easy on the tires so it depends on what t- tires they bring and of course this is a, a track that doesn't get hotter it gets cooler so the sun goes down. So the track temperature starts off massively hot. And then as they start going into qualifying, the track temperature drops because there's no sun on it. So it's, it all depends on where they are with the tyre that Pirelli bring. It's also not a fast track. You know, most of the corners are very, very slow. So although you say it's bumpy, there's not a lot of aerodynamic load uh, on the cars. They have maximum, pretty much maximum downforce on, on the cars. But in the slower corners, of course, it's it's going slow. It doesn't have as much downforce. So they, those things come into play. As you go to Spa and some of the faster circuits... I mean, they went very well at uh, at Silverstone. They were were pretty competitive at Silverstone, which is really high downfall. So, you know...
2: Yeah, and and, and you say they haven't got any wins. They've got 13 podiums between them. It does feel like a win is there. It's just, have we got enough races with just six to go for them to clinch it in 2022? And to your point, Damon there's a small matter of very competitive red bull in front of them it feels like others do have to make mistakes for them to get it but they're on the right trajectory
3: i think it's difficult to say i mean where mercedes is going to be competitive or not because this season has been so difficult to to know you 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 guess beforehand and you see people saying oh we're going to be really quick here and they're not so it's it has been very difficult and the mercedes still don't have a full i don't think a full understanding of their car and their concept, and they're still learning. And they, I think, they're saying that they are learning all the time. And we, we, you just wonder if, if they're gonna just learn throughout this season and change the concept for next year, and and maybe look at what Red Bull is doing. And it's difficult to say.
0: What about the format, Ricardo? You know, because they've changed the cars, but they're sticking with this hybrid format. They're increasing, going to increase the, the battery. In Sweden, do they look at Formula 1 and say it's, it's not green enough because you're heavy on the, the green lobby in, in Sweden? So, you know,
3: is Formula 1 seen as going the right way? Of course it's the right way. I think to go 50-50 with a, with a hybrid, uh, almost 50-50 from 26, we, you have to. And I think Formula 1 is doing good uh, job. I mean, to have Audi coming into the championship in 26, that means Formula One is going in the right direction. Otherwise, Audi wouldn't join. And uh, I think that's a serious statement to have Audi coming into Formula One and realize I think, I don't think it's just because Formula One is growing. Of course, it's partly because of the interest, but it's also because they're doing the right things with the regulations.
1: Damon, that is a beautiful segue into um, this story about the Mercedes trucks. Did you guys read about this? That they ran sixteen of their trucks on vegetable oil during that triple header, that the, the Spa-Zandvoort-Monza triple header, which is about fourteen hundred kilometers. They reckon they saved forty-four thousand kilos of CO two being released into the atmosphere, which is a reduction of. 89%. I just thought that was an amazing story and good on Merck for trialing that. I think they they tested one of their trucks on this vegetable oil driving back from the Hungarian Grand Prix at the end of July. Uh, it didn't break down. So off they went and they ran everything for that triple header on vegetable oil. And um, when you consider that they're already, they've already invested in sustainable aviation fuel, I think, didn't I read that they're buying a solar plant uh, near Brackley as well? Merck are, are leading the way. Yeah. Well, guys, look, with with a view to Singapore, any any other things we should be looking out for from Alpine, McLaren, Alfa Romeo, Haas?
2: Well, I tell you what, I wasn't uh, particularly encouraged by what Daniel Ricciardo had to say about McLaren's chances in Singapore. Ooh, what did he say? I think it was all to do with the sort of myriad of issues that they've got and that Singapore is a, the type of track to um, exacerbate those.
1: I do hope that Alfa Romeo deliver because it's always this kind of racetrack where we've been expecting them to be quick, good traction, low speed circuits, and yet they've... Let us down, Monaco. I remember thinking, I actually put money on Valtteri Bottas in Monaco and they were hopeless. So, well, <laughs> come on, guys. I
2: think they all did, in fairness. They were really, you know, quite pumped about their chances in Monaco and it was terrible, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, and I just said Singapore's
0: Monaco, Monaco <laughs> times two. So, let's so hope they're not going to go four oh. times as bad in Singapore.
1: Rickard, any, any, uh, anyone you think we should be looking out for in Singapore who we haven't talked about? Yeah.
3: Any dark horses? Like I said before, it's it's been so difficult this year to to guess, and and just like you, I also was talking up uh, Alfa Romeo's chances before Monaco, like everyone else, and but then because Singapore is bump, it was the bumps in Monaco which was their problem, so it's probably going to be the same thing in Singapore. But uh, so I think I think it's been really difficult this season to say which car is going to be quick and which is not going to be quick. So uh, I guess it's going to be the same again with Red Bull Ferrari uh, being really fast in qualifying. And then Mercedes did talk themselves up a little bit now as well for, for Singapore. But then again, uh, the bumps, who knows if the speed is uh, slow enough for them to, to be fast. Maybe they can be there.
1: Well, I'm going to throw it out there that Seb Vettel is going to be in the points this weekend. He's a five-time winner. In Singapore,
2: five-time winner,
1: and not only he's going to win, but I think that, I think yeah. he could drag that Aston Martin into the the back end of the points. He's clearly really good around that track, and I think he's still really motivated. He wants to finish his Formula One career on a high. So I think this is a a place where he's probably thinking he can do something. I don't think Ricard can get out of here without a prediction, can he?
3: Fernando Alonso is going to be top five.
0: Fernando Alonso, I was going to say he was going to be on the podium.
3: Okay, that's bold. That's not very (laughs) bold. Come on, Ricard. Okay, podium then. (laughs) Yeah, that's more like it.
2: Now, before we get on to Ask Damon, because that is our favourite part of the show, Ricard, one other bit of news since we last spoke was that the FIA had confirmed that they wouldn't be granting Colton Herta a super licence. And I'm just interested, particularly with your development of young drivers, in your reaction to that. It clearly is to protect their own feeder series, but are we cutting off our nose to spite our face? Are we missing out on a lot of young talent? Are there better ways of doing this?
3: I think Formula One should look, uh, look like more impartial. They have to look at the other, other series. Uh, of course, they have to promote Formula Two and Formula Three, but when first, second, third, does, is it forty, thirty, twenty or something in, in the car? I think that you have to have the same points in IndyCar as you have in Formula Two, at least. And I think what I know you have to—you have the rules and you have to follow the rules. But when something is wrong, you have to look at it and say, "Okay, we made a mistake here. The points system should be this way." And I think he should definitely be allowed in. Uh, So I think that's a mistake.
0: I agree. I think it should have more points for for IndyCar. I mean, let's be honest—it's the—it's the sharp end. Of uh, US motorsport and, you know, there's a difference between being in an F2 and being actually one of the potential winners of the Indy 500 or, or the IndyCar race. You know, you're in the spotlight. It's a totally different bag of talent, skills and, and skill set that you need for that.
1: And it's interesting that all of the ex-F1 guys in IndyCar have all come out in support of Colton, haven't they? I mean, Alexander Rossi, Marcus Ericsson have both said that, you know, he deserves a crack at Formula One. He's he's certainly good enough.
0: I actually replied to Alex Rossi's uh, Instagram post. I just said, one of the things is that all these decisions are taken by the bureaucrats if you like in in fia and kind of like how do we make this fair and what they don't do is talk to the drivers because i mean you just ask ricard he's another driver and if you ask most drivers they would say they would regard an indycar driver as way more accomplished than someone in f2 i know it was designed to make everyone go through the same channel on the on the ladder up to f1 you know this is a global sport and you know we want talent from we want to be able to take talent from everywhere. And, Particularly, it's a fantastic case in point, you know, where we've decided it'd be great to have a top IndyCar driver in F1 and give him the shout and we can't do it. I mean, how mad is that?
1: Well, Damon, just to be fair, if he'd won the championship, he would have enough points to get into Formula One. So so it can be done. But what we can't do is pluck a guy out who who finished 10th, as was the case with Colton. He -hmm. can't then come in.
0: Well, yeah, I'm sorry. But, you know. Um, we've had loads of cases in the past, I know, of like, let's say Kimi Räikkönen coming from Renault, Formula Renault, straight into F1, you know, are, are we going to say, are we saying we shouldn't have had Kimi Räikkönen in the F1, or should we have made him plod through... Or um, Max Verstappen. Yeah, or Max Verstappen, exactly. We've got a logjam anyway, you know, it's very difficult to get into F1, so you've got to have a filtering process, but one of the filtering processes is how they're regarded as, ta- as a talent, you know, as much as anything else, and... um I mean, it needs, it needs more looking at it. But I think forcing everyone to go through F3, F2, that's the only way to get into F1 is the wrong approach.
1: I talked to Roman Grosjean about the quality of the IndyCar field and he said, yeah, there is strength in depth. And he did say that everyone's talking about Colton Herter and Colton is very good. But he thinks the best guy there at the minute is Scott McLaughlin, who came from Aussie V8 to race for Penske in IndyCar. So... You know there are so many different routes to the top and 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 ricard is is a, a a good person
0: to ask because i went down to a dtm event after soon after i stopped racing and all the top dtm drivers were there you know and i knew that they were the very best in the world in their discipline you know and the idea that because i was a formula one driver would mean i could just come in and kind of beat everyone is is disrespectful to them because in in Touring cars, as as Ricard did, you know, the driving skill is incredibly high. The standard is very high. The competition is very high, as much as it is in in Formula One. Um, it's just not Formula One, and so that's that's the only thing you can say about that. You know, the attention isn't there, the pressure isn't there, and all the things that come with being an F1 aren't there. But these guys, there they cannot just be twenty great drivers in the world. You know, they're also in other disciplines, and our sport is rich with all these other disciplines. I met um, Jimmy Johnson down at, uh, at Goodwood. Uh, what a super guy, you know, an incredibly talented driver. Okay, it was NASCAR and he's an Indy car now, but I, I the respect I have for him is is huge, you know, because he's he's ridden the top of the wave in his own discipline. And it can't just be F1 that gets all the respect.
3: Exactly, because you only get 20 drivers in F1. And so what you do with driver number 21, 22, so they're like... There's of course many hundreds of good drivers around the world. So, and if you don't make it to F1, you will choose another series where you can make a living, uh, like uh, V8 in the McLaughlin. He's been he, he was really really good to follow, I and mean, he was really really quick early on. So I'm not surprised he's doing really really well this year. But like DTM, uh, IndyCar, all the, all the other series that that you can make a living. Uh, if you if a driver if you can't make it all the way you will choose another discipline and of course it's very very competitive and you learn the way of driving those cars are different to f1 so it's not easy for a formula one driver to just jump in another category you need to learn the series that you uh, choose and with
1: our driver management heads on what do you do now if you are colton herter and you you want to make the jump to formula One. You've already done two days testing in a McLaren at Portimao earlier in the year. You know this is what you want to do, but you don't know how to get enough super license points.
0: No, has he got? To, has he got to drive an IndyCar car next year? No, yeah, okay. yes. So he has to win Indy car. So he has year. to win Indy car. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that—that's what will happen. Is that he will go? Okay. Well, I'm not going to go. You know, grubbing around some junior formula to try and get the points somewhere else. He's a top driver in a in a major championship he's going to stay there and he'll you know with any if he's any good he'll win the championship and then he'll if he wants to he can come to f1 but he'll probably stay in the states because
1: he's winning yeah (laughs) and and a missed opportunity for formula one in a year in which uh, with the 2023 calendar having just been released we got three races in the us next year now the, the boom in interest in formula one Uh, on that side of the pond, proves that we don't need an American driver for Formula One to succeed over there. But surely it would help.
2: It would help, but it would also go down very well. Yes. Wouldn't it?
1: Yes, good point. You know, with Alex Rossi now racing for McLaren in IndyCar next year, you know, could we see him step back over into Formula One?
2: Perhaps
3: we get uh, Logan Sargent in in Williams, maybe. And then we have an American driver. Nothing possible.
1: Great segue from Ricard Rydell there, because, of course, the one, another bit of news that's broken since last week's show is Nicholas Latifi and Williams are going to part ways uh, at the end of 2022, which leaves uh, the second seat alongside Alex Albon free. Is it Logan Sargent? Is it Nick De Vries? Do you know something, Ricard? on the Logan Sargent?
3: No, not really. I mean, uh, but he's just, uh, he's one of the, the dr- junior drivers and if he gets enough license points, I think he has to finish top six in the F2 Championship and he's third at the moment. So, there is a chance for him, definitely. But then there's a lot of other drivers around that could be taking that seat. And of course, they, I think they offered a contract to Nick De Vries, didn't they? And then, but then of course, it seems like he's maybe going to Alpha Tauri to release Gasly for Alpine. So, we don't know for sure exactly how it's gonna turn around but um, looks looks like that way I think it's just brilliant it's just
0: there's so much to talk about the pressure now with new new drivers younger drivers coming up and having to get a te- uh, run in fP1 and stuff like that I think it's brilliant because it's it's added more options into the pot and that's that's keeping current f1 drivers on their toes as well you know and I think that is a good thing because it could have been a place where you could just sit and be comfortable for years and years without any threat you know from from a new up and coming whippersnapper like I had with David Coulthard, who I'm still angry about because he um, he was too young and too good looking and I didn't like having him in my team <laughs> knocking spots off me I had, to, I had to up my game to beat him and it was uh... so you know that's the nature of the sport we're in you got that one off your chest yes I did yes I did yeah
2: <laughs> and now you've got the opportunity to get a bit more off your chest damon because it is that time Of the show. Questions, please?
0: Damon Hill, do you think it's time maybe you should change your approach to racing? (laughs) Well, I don't know even how to start answering that question, but anyway. It's
3: the Williams leading, Damon
0: Hill! Some more questions, please. Damon, were you happy with the start? Damon Hill, congratulations for this winning, Damon. You must be satisfied. Any questions? Yeah. Well, Damon, it must have been absolutely gutting that last couple of laps. Damon, it looked like you had it really under control. Some more questions, please.
1: Damon Hill has done a fantastic job.
0: Hey, guys. My name is Reese Hallaby, and I am from Colorado. First off, I, I have to say thank you because I was very generously given a shout out on this podcast a few weeks ago. And while it was amazing for me, it was an even more amazing surprise for my mother, who has now sent it to every F1 fan we know. Um, so, anyways, my question today is about the flow of qualifying. I'd like to better understand what a team's goal is during Q1, Q2, Q3. For instance, do the top teams do anything differently in the first few rounds? And related to that, I don't understand why the teams seem to waste time during qualifying. Uh, They never seem to be scrambling to get out on track at the beginning of each session. And thank you all again for doing the podcast. And as a new fan this year, I love listening and learning each week. Hi, Reese, Well, I'm glad your mum's happy anyway. That's good. The question was, why aren't they out on track Making use of every single split second. Well, one of the problems is they have mileage issues on the, on the engines, so they don't want to be out there pounding around all the time. They want to save some some uh, usage of the of the car. So if there's no need for it, then they're not out there. Other, the other reason they're not out is because they are sometimes when you go out when you start on a new track it's not very good it's 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 what they call green and it's covered in dirt so they're actually hoping someone else will go out and clean it up so you can get more accurate feedback but there are places like say for example singapore where track learning is it is very important and so they'll go out and use the track if they've got experience of the track then they tend to try and minimize the time they can go out and and, and run but i'm sure ricard's got much more detailed information being, a, being an expert pundit and he can add to this uh anything i've missed there ricard
3: oh well Amiga, i think you got it all okay <laughs> but of course um uh... They're waiting for the grip to go up uh, on the track. The more rubber is less down, the faster the, the lap time will be at the end of the session. Uh, and I mean, sometimes they go out too late, as as he said. I mean, sometimes they're waiting just too long and, and uh, miss the opportunity. Uh, like we've seen at Monza, where everyone wants to be towed around. No one wants to be the first car. So there's there's like different tracks, different reasons. But uh, I think you got it all.
0: Yeah, it's tactical, really, is what is the, is the answer. It's it's not that they don't want to run. And I know you, you, you'd think they'd want to use up every split second and get a clear track, but sometimes a clear track is not a quick track. It's actually the track, especially at Monaco, where the last few minutes, when when the track has been run on, it's a bit like a drag strip, you know, that when the when the track gets covered in very hot, sticky rubber, it's got way more grip than it would do, let's say, even 10 minutes later, when the rubber's cooled down. So, uh you know, I can remember getting pole position at Monaco and I hardly had to do a thing. All I had to do was steer. The car would hardly move. It was stuck. It was nailed to the track. I couldn't, I couldn't believe the level of grip, but it's because 22 cars had just been going over it five minutes before. So um, there you go. A little bit of insight. Now you can get pole position at Monaco. That's how you do it. Go out the very last run.
1: What do you guys think? Of Q1, Q2 and Q3 as a format in Formula 1. Because I would argue quite strongly that it's skewed the wrong way around. At the minute, Q1 is 18 minutes, which I think is too long. You're just getting rid of the bottom five cars. Why are we spending so long getting rid of the bottom five cars? Because all the cars have to run, Tom. Yeah, so it might be a bit of jeopardy. So if you reversed <laughs> it and made Q1 10 It'd minutes... Mad. It'd be mad. And then you had longer for the fight for pole position in Q3. I'd like to see the onus, the emphasis on Q3, not on Q1. Yeah. I
3: think that uh, what you say in, in English, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's or, very wise. Uh, I, think, I think we've had uh, so many different ways of qualifying over the years, uh, like the one hour qualifying a long time ago. And uh, like a shootout, you could do the top 10 reversed uh, one lap and everything. But I think, I think qualifying is really good as it is now with Q1, Q2, Q3, Yeah, you're right. Maybe Q1 could be a little bit shorter, but qualifying for me is one of the highlights of the weekend. It's uh, really interesting the way it is now. And I can't see how you can make it much better, but of course... uh, Maybe make it uh, four minutes shorter in Q1 then.
2: I, I agree. It's like a standalone piece of entertainment, isn't it?
3: It really is. I, I agree completely. For
0: me, it's the, it's the peak of the weekend. You know, it's it's it sets up. So you go to bed at night after Saturday. You know, it's there's just an anticipation that's all been built up from qualifying. And you're seeing the drivers at absolute maximum and the cars at their maximum capability. And we want to see that. I mean, the laps I remember are of Senna going through bridge corner on Mansell at the top of, you know, qualifying for Monaco, you know, watching Robert Kubica coming through the swimming pool section. Absolutely terrified the life out. I mean, the guy's absolutely on the max. You're not going to see that always in a race. And also, what about Max Verstappen's Saudi lap until the very last corner? I mean, that was literally absolutely jaw-dropping. You know, Fernando Alonso was being interviewed. I think it might have been by you, Natalie. And he suddenly looks up at the screen. He gets distracted. He's looking. His eyes are popping out of his head, looking at Max going
2: so close to the
1: walls. It still
0: sends shivers down my spine. Unbelievable.
2: Right, Should we have your next question, Damon?
1: Hi, Damon. James here from New Zealand. I'm a head greenkeeper, and I'm really enjoying listening to these new crop of F1 drivers getting into golf. Firstly, what transferable skills can be taken from driving an F1 car to swinging a golf club? Secondly, who were your golfing buddies when you were racing? Many thanks, guys. And I'd love to see Tom on a golf course one day. Rick do you play golf? Yeah. James asked us
0: the transferable skills. Now, I can absolutely say with absolute certainty, there's absolutely no skills that are transferable <laughs> from, car, from driving a car to golf. It is the most awful, frustrating game. And But Landon Norris, he's, a, he's got a lovely swing. I've seen him swinging the ball a few times. And, and Carlos Saint's very good.
3: There is some, uh, I think, the mental side when, you, when you're when standing there to try and hit off the tee uh, and you have water on the right-hand side you think, don't go in the water don't go in the water, don't go in the water and of course it goes in the water. It's a little bit the same with racing. You can't think don't go off in the gravel don't. You, That's it's the wrong. So mentally the yes it's that you need to have the positive thinking and thinking seeing what you are going to do. So uh, mentally for sure there's a same thing, but I agree. I mean, uh, hitting a golf uh, ball is uh, is completely different from racing a car.
2: But, but but maybe that's what they need. Maybe that is the answer because Lando needs some sort of counterbalance to the, the fast-paced living that he is challenged with through Formula One. And he likes, he likes to be able to come off and breathe and have a bit of peace and quiet.
1: It's peace and quiet, but, but it's all-consuming, isn't it? While you're playing golf, you're not thinking of other things. That's your, you know... You've got to you know, be focused on the putt, not not that Q3 lap.
0: There are very few. When I was driving, there were very few golf players who, who, um, who I got to Eddie play. Eddie Irvin used to. Yeah, but you see, I didn't get on with Eddie. Did you get on with Eddie? <laughs> I never got on
3: with Eddie. I played golf with him in Japan. Yeah.
0: Okay. How, how was he? Was he good? He was okay. <laughs> I don't know what the connection is, but I think any sports people understand competitiveness and the competition. I think this is where the crossover is really. Right, so if you have some questions for Ask Damon, then you have to send a voice note to Damon at f1.com.
2: Right, well, we're about to jump on flights over to Singapore. I've just seen the weather forecast. is 30 degrees with lightning. Did you expect that?
1: <laughs> you kind of have to expect everything over there, don't you?
2: Oh, my goodness. Well, look. We can't wait to go back there. It's been a a long break. And so um, to go night racing again will be a thrill. And to uh, wind around the streets of the Marina Bay Circuit will be a a genuine privilege to witness once again. But thanks for your company, Ricard. Great to speak to you, Damon, Tom, as ever. And we're back on October the 3rd. Thanks. All the
1: best. Cheers. F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studio.